message up a little bit this morning. We're going to spend more time in worship uh, after the message and prior to communion. <clears throat> so I wanted to uh, I want to bring my thoughts today from David's Psalm 138. If you have a Bible with you, you can open there, and we'll have the verses up on the screen. <clears throat> and uh, we've just about figured out why my mic drops out every once in a while, so I'll try to. I'll try to deal with that. We think it's the stand. Actually, we don't. Brad does. Uh, Brad knows these things. So uh, I'll try to stay out from behind that. So uh, I was supposed to be wearing, in the spirit of transparency, I was supposed to be wearing a Peyton Manning Broncos jersey today. Uh, and the end of the story is I probably got ripped off uh, on the Internet buying a $40 brand-new, never-worn jersey uh, they don't make them in adult sizes, but I like Peyton Manning, so I thought, well, that'd be a good investment. So, uh, nevertheless, I had to resort to, uh, to my Dallas Cowboy jersey. So, uh, today marks one year since I preached the first message as the pastor of Community Church. <clears throat> a lot has happened uh, in the course of a year. Uh, so many things, so many stories a video montage uh, just doesn't capture uh, all the things that God has done, both to knit our hearts together, but also to continue the work of, of seeing the gospel expand uh, and impact lives. And, and uh, so we wanted today uh, just to pause and say thank you to God. Um, all that's happened in the past year is not about me. In fact, I didn't know where Gunnison was uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, it was uh, the sovereignty of God to put Gunnison and Community Church in particular on the map for us. And when I researched and found out it's one of the coldest places in America, I thought, as soon as I tell my wife this, she'll say, no, nah, God's not calling us there. <laughs> but that's not what she said. She said, I think we should investigate him. And we did. And the sovereign God was at work long before we got here uh, in the hearts of, uh, of this church the search committee, the executive committee, and man, just looking back, for those of us who were close to it, uh, it, uh, it was just so apparent that God was in this, and uh, I think the last year that's ensued and all that God has done uh, is just affirmation, and, uh, but it's not about me, and it's not about us, uh, it's about the goodness of God, and what we learn from Psalm 138 is that God has continually been at work for the good of his people. And what ought to happen uh, when things are working uh, according to God's design is that you and I ought to take note of what God has done. Uh, and David teaches us that, that he cries out to God to be the one who meets his needs the way our church cried out for God's, the, the next person God would bring here to be a shepherd. Uh, and as God answers those prayers, then it, it invites a response, and, and we see this so clearly in Psalm 138. So for our instruction, I thought it would be good to look at Psalm 138, and then to try to kind of unpack uh, how you and I ought to live, not just in reflection over the past year, but uh, as we continue to serve God moving forward. So our desire this morning uh, is to speak of the reverberating glory of God, which has echoed uh, across time from eternity past, and it will continue to echo long after this world is gone. Psalm 138 is a psalm of David, and it teaches us about prayer. Yet, 
it is a, a psalm of declarative praise. That David is shouting God's praise, but in the process of shouting God's praise, he's also teaching us that there is a vital connection link between prayer, God's answer, and then our response, which is praise. Psalm 138 uh, teaches us uh, there's a link that needs to be present between our prayer and then also uh, our reflection on God's response. James 5.13 echoes this idea closely when it says, if anybody's suffering among you, let them pray. Uh, if anybody is cheerful, let them praise. And so we want to be on both sides of this equation. Simply stated, this psalm declares that the purpose of prayer and praise is to glorify God. And that's what we ought to be about. That uh, on any given Sunday, what we're seeking to do is draw close to God uh, and to praise Him for who He is and for all that He's done among us. So many things can be said about the tandem of praise and prayer, but there is no truth more profound, more far-reaching, more significant than this, that prayer and praise uh, of the believer glorifies God. And I'd like you to think this morning metaphorically, uh, like a, it's like a plant. Uh, think of a plant which is two parts, it's roots that go down into the ground, uh, and then it's growth uh, that tends to lead to fruit or flowers. Prayer is the roots. Prayer is what takes us deep uh, in our need uh, to search out God. And as God responds to us, then uh, the flower, the, the, the plant grows and it produces fruitfulness. This is how praise and prayer are intended to work. David helps us see that when we pray, not only uh, not in a, a traditional or a frivolous way, uh, but in intensely, fervently, dependently, God answers. We could just go through the room today and talk about how God has answered prayers uh, in our personal lives uh, and in our church. In recent weeks, I can think of numbers of answered prayers. God answers the prayers of his children, and that invites us. It's, it's cyclical. It invites us to praise him and then to return to the discipline of praying. So David's Psalm 138, it's broken down into what's called uh, in um, wisdom literature a strophe. There are three movements in this psalm. Psalm 138, verses 1 through 8. So I want to start by reading them, and I just want to unpack three thoughts, um, apply them to us, and then we'll return to worship. David writes, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Father, our desire is to praise you for all of your goodness to us. In our personal lives, as a church family, in the past year, you have answered so many prayers, and we want to praise you for them. And then, like David, we want to learn, by the end of this psalm, 
that life draws us back into the discipline of prayer. God, we want to exalt you as David does for your glory, for it endures forever. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. The first thought uh, that we pull, that I'd pull out of uh, the, the first movement of David's psalm is this, that prayer and praise are a personal path that lead to our highest purpose. Prayer is of no use to you unless, unless you practice it. It is one of God's greatest gifts to you. It's the, it's the greatest resource that we have uh, that we're availed to by the work of Jesus Christ. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross for you and I, we have no access to the Father. We simply cannot go before him. Prayers prayed by those who are not redeemed by Jesus Christ just bounce off the ceiling. They're not heard. The first prayer that God hears from you and I is the prayer of the repentant sinner. When we call out to him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, what Jesus has accomplished for us. And then after that, as adopted sons and daughters, we are invited freely. Wrath has been removed. Our sin has been forgiven. And we're invited freely into God's presence. But prayer, reaching out to heaven, touching uh, the Father's heart, is only valuable to those who practice it. David says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. <clears throat> Before the gods, I sing your praise. The word praise simply means uh, to thank. It's the Hebrew word yada. It, it, it means to make public acknowledgement. In the Old Testament culture, you gave thanks by telling about someone's character. It's kind of like in India, uh, it's common when you talk about making a referral of someone, you're saying to them, I will tell others of your name. So when you're practicing whatever it is that you do to make a living and you serve someone and they say, hey, I'm going to tell other people about your name, you're making a referral that they can trust you that you'll do for them. And this is what David says in the opening of Psalm 138. He says, I I I'm going to tell people. I'm going to boldly proclaim something about you. I'm going to tell of your name. And he says his praise is wholehearted. Genuine praise is never uh, to be external or flippant, superficial or frivolous, but from the whole being. That means that praise is not coerced or contrived. Uh, you're not really praising God if someone's twisting your arm to do so. David says, my praise of you is, is not coerced. I'm responding to how you've answered the needs of my life. Neither is it contrived. For some of us, praise on a Sunday morning is just contrived. We're just going through the motions. Our heart is not connected to it. You know what changes that? You know what makes uh, singing or any other particular act become worship or praise of God? It's when our whole heart is in it. And what teaches us to have our whole heart in it is this relationship between prayer and praise. Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You and I on uh, a weekly basis, Monday through Sunday, uh, as we're walking with the Lord, God is intentionally trying to draw us deeper and deeper into a love relationship with him. If Sunday morning is the moment where you have thoughts, waking thoughts about the goodness of God in your life, and my words cause you to reflect and you say, oh yeah, I did breathe this past week. Oh yeah, I did eat this past week. And I have God to thank for that. If, if this morning is the first thought you've had of God's goodness to you, then you're missing out on something. Because God intends to draw us 
every moment of our existence, between the moment we're born and we don't know him and he draws us to know him to the day that we will breathe our last, deeper and deeper into an appreciation of who he is so that praise, so that living becomes a wholehearted experience as unto the Lord. It's curious, David says, I praise you before the gods. Why the gods? David is a strict monotheist. And yet I think we underestimate that he lived life, he was in a culture of polytheism where gods were multiplied, where people would adopt just about anything. One of the things I was fascinated by when I was in India was that they have these little god shops. It's like a 7-Eleven, a convenience store. And you can go in and you can buy a god. When you save up some money and you want to add some good karma to your household, you buy a new idol. And you want to diversify. It's kind of like your portfolio. You want to cover all your bases. There's even pictures of Jesus in there. They'll even adopt a little bit of Jesus if it gives them karma. And this is the culture that David was writing to. In fact, it's not dissimilar from the culture we live in. You want to see worship? Turn on your television this afternoon when the game starts. You will see worship. Worship that the church does not know. We have to talk about giving back to God to honor him, not in the NFL. They give willingly. They sacrifice greatly to worship their God. Our culture is not dissimilar from David's. And what David is teaching us here is that God answering his prayer, the living God speaking into his life and moving on his behalf makes him want to shout to everyone, to gods that are no gods, that there is a God who was, who is, and who is to come. Your God doesn't do what my God does. And David wants everyone to know it. <clears throat> David asserts a frontal attack on the paganism all around him. And this is what you and I are called to do. How does that happen? Because in many respects, Monday through Friday, we look like just, just like the world around us. It's very hard to tell the difference. It's hard to make a distinction. What draws us to the place of being able to confidently assert the truth, the way, and the life over every other path that man might choose is that we have turned to him in our greatest need. We have cried out to him like David, asking him to move on our account, and then he does. And it teaches us something about him, and it emboldens us to make others know him for who he is, Yahweh. Psalm 138 anticipates uh, the New Testament imperative, go and tell. In the Old Testament, the, the mission was centripetal. Israel was intended to worship the living God. The temple in Jerusalem was, was the place where God would reside, and they were supposed to be a light to the nations that would draw all nations to Israel. Centripetal. It's a force moving inward. They failed. It was only buying time so that God could send his son into the world, and when Jesus is changing the souls of men and women, then he's going to say, now it's centripetal go. We're going to move out of Jerusalem. It did take a little persecution, but the church moved. And so the mission has been spreading all around the world to make God known in a world of lesser gods who do nothing for the souls of men. David says in verse 38, uh, verse 3 of chapter 38, on the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Just before that, he says, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now, the literal translation, uh, you probably have a note in your Bible, uh, actually says, 
uh, you have exalted above your name your word. You have exalted above your name your word. Now I want you to think with me on this because it's a historic struggle. Even in the Christian church, we look for things to exalt above the person of God. I had a great conversation this past week with someone in town who who's, uh, was saved out of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church elevates uh, things like tradition, ideas of man to equate with the Word of God. And they even uh, believe in the idea of, of what they call ex cathedra, where the Pope speaks and he's speaking the very words of God. We don't believe that. But David says, you exalt above your name your word. He seems to suggest that God's word is greater than himself, but this is inconceivable. It's unthinkable. If the name Yahweh is a summary of the reality of God, how can anything be more important than the person of God? No matter how highly we may revere God's word, we may not exalt it over his person. We do not worship the Bible. We believe it is God's word and we desperately need it. Psalm 119, scripture declares God's glory but it does not transcend him. So what is David saying here? David is not referring to the whole of God's word. He's actually speaking to the answer of his prayer. This is how our relationship with him works. See, you prayed a prayer some point in your life. If you've come to know the Lord, asking him to save you. He answered that prayer. He saved you. And then all along the way, there are little, little and big concerns in our life. And we pray and God answers and we forget about that. We move on to the next thing because that's just the way life works. And what David is saying is that so significant was my need when I cried out to you, you answered my prayer. And it's just this specific word has blown away everything I thought I knew about you. You've taken me to a whole nother level of understanding a deeper encounter that comes only through prayer and God's answer. When, when you don't avail yourself of prayer, brothers and sisters, then, then you're cutting yourself off from understanding, a, having a deepening understanding of just how good God is, and that results uh, in praise because he's changed us. The surprise of faith uh, is God's answer always exceeds our fondest hopes. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's extraordinary answers expand our view of his greatness, which leads us to glorify his name, his person. The purpose of prayer is to bring us to the praise of God. It's like a spiritual plant. Prayer is the root. If the root is, is not there, like if we're not praying, then we're going to dry up. It's just a matter of time. But if we're praying, then the roots will sink deeply through prayer. And what will result is the fruit or the flower of praise as God answers our greatest needs. We did that a lot this past year, seeking the Lord for things. Some things were just, just asking for his favor. Some things were big. Some things were small. Some things were intensely personal about health. But, but we sought the Lord because he is the one to whom we look for our needs. And he answers prayer. And it rightly results in praise. But if, as spiritual plants, we're not praying, 
if you're not talking to the Lord, presenting to him your greatest needs, here's what's going to happen. You'll lose focus on how desperately you need him. See, this is what prayer does. Prayer helps us to focus not on our problems, but on our faith. And as we focus upon our faith, God loves, he delights in moving when his children act in faith. So as we act in faith then, and we focus upon him as the, meter, the, meet, the one who meets our needs, then he delights in answering those needs. And it's to the end that he might not only take care of us, but that he would reverberate his glory in us and through us to a world desperately in need of him. David experiences this in Psalm 138, uh, and it's something that you and I can share with him. But what God has started, let's say perhaps among a smaller group of people, the search committee last year, us, that turned into the executive committee, ultimately the congregation uh, affirmed the suggest the recommendation of both of those committees. What started small must reverberate outwards. You see, we are only as strong as our weakest link. It's not enough for the leaders of the church to pray. It's not enough for the leaders of the church to learn from the life of David to say, oh, I understand that what God wants to do is make me aware of my need for him so that I'll drop to my knees and ask for his help, and then he will answer each need that results in praise and his glory going out into all the earth. If we're to be who God has called us to be, then each of us, must walk the path of prayer and praise. And as we do, God will do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Glory reverberating. His name resounding as we give referrals of him to speak of his name. And then we will be refreshed and excited. That leads to the second thought, to practice a prayer and praise fits us for a promised future. So David starts out by looking backwards and saying, I had this great need. I fell on my knees and you answered it. You strengthened me. You came through for me. And then all of a sudden, he has this future glance. Verse, verses 4 through 6 is the second strophe. And David says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have the heart, they have heard the words, I'm sorry, of your mouth. And they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he, he knows from afar. David, having prayed and received God's answer, becomes not just king, he also becomes a prophet. He has a, a future look. And if we're to take it literally, seriously, what David is saying, then he can only be referring to the Messianic age. Because in the day in which... David was living at that moment when he had real enemies. Not every king was acknowledging God. So David, as, as he sees this, the way God works, that he meets our deepest needs, he answers prayer, which leads to his glory expanding and, and, and the result of praise. He recognizes where this is going to go. He sees the end game. This is the, the benefit of the position of you and I who study God's word because we know how it ends. We already know that the victory has been accomplished. And if God is in the process of expanding his glory throughout the world, there's coming a point where your pride, there's no room left for it. There's no room left for the pride of, of, of strong men who rule, men in power in our world. Eventually, David says, I know how this goes. Every king, in fact, scripture says kings will shut their mouths at him. Every king will recognize 
your glory. And if powerful people do, then it just trickles down from there. Everyone will praise him. David has envisioned here a time when Jesus will rule on the throne of David. Isaiah chapter 6, 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Of the expanse and, and uh, substance of his throne, there will be no end. He envisions a time when, unlike oppressive regimes, this kingdom will be unique. Isaiah 11, 3 through 4 says that he delights in God's word and in meeting out justice. A time when knowledge of God will fill the earth, Isaiah 11, 9. A time where all people everywhere will respond to his reign, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Isaiah, um, David here in Psalm 138 envisions a day when Jesus will sit upon his glorious throne, verse 4 and 5, and all the kings of the earth shall give thanks to you, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. This is the central shout of the entire psalm. This is why when we look back in reflection, we should not set our eyes on lesser things, okay? This day is not about me. And if you don't believe me, ask someone beside you because half the crowd probably doesn't like some of the things I've, we've done. And I'm the scapegoat. But if we're looking to God and we're just caught up in the good that God is doing, then we will not only find that he answers our prayers, we will also see that his, the purpose of what he is doing is to expand his glory. And as he expands his glory, we just fall more and more in love with him. David's experience led him to predict, and we can join in. Our confidence is that however difficult it is now, whatever, whatever uh, in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the work of church where uh, there's some give and take, and where we want to continue to have a heart for a new generation of people coming, which calls us to certain change. It calls us to, 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 to believe in what God is doing tomorrow, not just what he did yesterday. As we're doing that, we know where this all ends. We can see the and we can align our lives with what pleases God the most. And what pleases God the most is that his people would not only turn to him with their greatest needs, but that his people would have a heart like his. A heart for the, peop for the people of the world. A heart for the lost. A heart for the nations. There's coming a day where everyone, whether they know the Lord or not, Paul says in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will do so lamenting that they never understood, that they never prayed and received forgiveness. Others of us will do it with reckless abandon. Oh, to see his face. David, king and prophet and sage, ends his second strophe with such a humble reminder of not only our desperate need for grace, but how good God is. For though the Lord is high, this is what David says, almost unthinkable that I could approach him. And high in that he is without limitation to answer my prayers. Though he is high, yet he regards the lowly, lowly like me, lowly like you.
That's praiseworthy, isn't it? That he would show up for us. God's glory is limitless, yet he stoops to the humble. You know what's fading away in this world? It's hard to see, especially as we enter an election year. Pride. Self-aggrandizing human pride, which is relative. We tend to have pridefulness in limited areas, not God. God's glory excels in everything he touches, everything he is. And there's not going to be room for pride when God's glory is infinite. Isaiah 57, 15, the prophet writes, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is, it, it, God is glorious in, in everything that he is. Unapproachable. We don't know his mind. We can't know his thoughts. We can't search him out. He says uh, to Job, if I were hungry, I wouldn't ask you. You wouldn't even know about it. And yet, for the contrite, for the humble, he is near to them. He's been near to us this year. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're a cut above. It's because we've walked humbly. Because we strive to be contrite. Because we press into him with our greatest needs in prayer. So David gets a look at the future and it changes his perspective on the present. He ends the last two verses of the psalm. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Prayer and praise, finally, prepare us for the present problems. The prayers we prayed last year and God answered, they're not sufficient to carry us through 2020. They're sufficient to, to lead us to praise of his glory and to expand what he desires to do. But we must be drawn back yet again to pray about today's problems, tomorrow's problems. We must do, in increasing measure, what we started last year. We've got to be better. We've got to pray more. We've got to press after him. We've got to seek to praise him. We've got to want, want to make him known. We've got to set aside pride and willfulness that we might be unified as the body of Christ. This is what we learn from David. David understands as he ends this psalm that he still has to live life in a tough and unrelenting world. As good as God has been to us in this past year, I spent the last couple of weeks incredibly burdened. Burdened by people who I don't know whether or not they know the Lord. Some in our church, some outside that I've met. Burdened for people who, who need to be discipled. And we need more people willing to disciple I love meeting with, I'm meeting with some young men and some young adults and older people. And still, there's needs for people to be shown how to walk with Jesus. I'm burdened for people who, who uh, are too focused on me and are going to feel let down by me. I'm going to let you down. And I become the object of, of, of disappointment when the truth of the matter is they need to see Jesus. I actually was praying this past week, and I, I said, God, if you could just help them see I have a shepherd's heart. If they just give me the benefit of the doubt. 
And the Lord said, they don't need to know you. They need to know me. This is the church we must become. This is, this is what will lead us to greater and greater impact is, is when you and I are willing to die to self, take up our cross, and follow him. And as he uses us in the lives of other people around us, his glory will reverberate in Gunnison, Colorado and beyond. This is what David shows us. Almost foreshadowing the New Testament, David displays a new set of confidence in God's determination to do what only he can do. And it, it echoes Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to your purpose. Brother, sister, I'm not sure what your particular issue is right now. I want to help. The truth is I'm doing good sometimes just to take care of my own. But I, but I am genuinely here for you. And I know this, that God has allowed it as a, a crucible, an instrument to bring about change in you. Not necessarily change in someone else. It starts with you. And his goal is that you would reach out to him as the answer for your prayer. And that his answer would then sweep over you with how good he is and how much he loves you. And it would result in praise that draws you deeper into a love relationship with him. And out of that will flow his glory. David ends his psalm of praise by returning to prayer. The very last part of verse 6. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He's confident. God made me for a reason. It doesn't always go the way I thought it was going to. It doesn't always look like what I thought it was going to look like. But know this, friend. Whatever you've been through, God is not worried about getting you home. He will fulfill his purpose for you. You will look like Jesus Christ before it's all said and done. David is confident that God will fulfill his purposes because of his character. Your steadfast love, it's that the most beautiful word in Hebrew, hased, H-E-S-E-D. Hased, it means loyal reliability. God will fulfill his purposes for me. But then he prays. Because prayer is what we're called to. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is our prayer at Community Church. We give credit to him for what he has begun. 101 years. We're in our 102nd this year. God gets the credit for that. Any good that's come of it, any, in fact, any good that exists in me, anything you might see that you admire or that you might affirm, and I know there's some other stuff you wouldn't, the good stuff goes to his credit. I have to take everything else. He is praiseworthy. When we pray and praise, we glorify God. And the Apostle Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he ends with, do not quench the Holy Spirit. If we are not in this cycle, praying about our needs, receiving God's answers to prayer, which results in praise and the expansion of his glory, if we're not doing that, then we'll grow cold to the Holy Spirit. And it only takes one or two or three or four of us 
And it starts to chip away at what God can do among us. So let us press in and do what only we can do for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters are counting on us. So which is it for you today? Roots or the fruits? You have something you need to be praying about? Some, some great burden that you need to lay at the altar and lift before God? Or is there something that you ought to be praising God for? Some fruit, a flower, probably a mixture of both. I'm going to ask Val and the band to come. We're going to praise for just a few moments. And as we do, uh, the altar is open. Roots or fruits? I want you to come lay whatever it is. It could be a prayer request. It could be a praise. You can join me here, and then we'll end our service with communion. Father, we recognize that our lives are part of a succession of righteous people who've been redeemed by you. In David's case, out of incredible sin, and yet the word says he had a heart after you. We want to learn from David and from the saints who have gone before us that that what you're attempting to do both in our personal lives and uh, throughout our church is to draw us into this, this cycle of, of prayer that results in your heavenly answers, which culminates in praise. And what results from that is that your glory goes out. I pray, Father, that we would be a people whose roots are sunk deep into the soil of prayer. And that increasingly the fruit that we see in each other's lives, whether it's uh, high times on a mountain or walking through the valley of the shadow, that it would be your glory that we achieve. God, thank you for your good to, goodness to us in the past year. We simply say, as Moses prayed, if you're not going with us in 2020, then don't send us. We desperately need you. We ask you to go before us for your great glory. We believe your purposes will be accomplished for us because great is your faithfulness. Nevertheless, we ask, forsake not the work of your hands. In Christ's name.